0: Isaiah 45. Thou say the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed. Well, I want to stop here. Let's refresh our memory. We all probably pretty much know who Cyrus is in history, but. This passage, what we read here, was written 150 years before it became reality. So for us, it's history. Isaiah wrote it as a future, as a prophecy. And he calls this man by his name. He calls Cyrus by the name. Remember Babylon's empire? And King Nebuchadnezzar, how they came and took over Israel, take them to captive, to captivity, um, selected few selected people, young people from Jews, and took to Nebuchadnezzar's court to serve him. Um, not only that, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple, took all their worship vessels and put in his storage room. Um, after Nebuchadnezzar there was few more kings, and then there became a nation, as Medes and Persians, and a man by name Cyrus, who was Persian. He united Medes and Persians, marched against Babylon, was victorious, walked in in Babel, uh, proclaimed himself a king, and became an empire. Well, shortly after his victory, Cyrus stood in front of his people and said, From now on, things will be different. I will be different ruler. I will be gracious ruler. I will be good to my people. And the first, one of the first things he did, he let all the captives go back to their homelands, including the Jews. 50,000 Jews went back to Jerusalem. Not only he led them to go back to their homeland, he said, wait a minute, I know what's in my treasury. It's your stuff. Come, take it, take all your secret vessels, all your worship vessels, gold and silver, that you had in your temple. Take them and you are free to go back. Why this is important? If that release would not happen, it's very doubtful that there would be Israel nation today or in Jesus' day. And for God to have his Messiah, his Son, to come in a nation of Israel, in a line of David, this release was very, very important. And all this plan kind of a hinged on pagan king called by name Cyrus. God is ruler over all. God is sovereign in world history. He can use men that couldn't care less about him. Cyrus, by no means, had any kind of relationship or interest in Almighty God. Let's keep reading here. Thou say the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed. Yeah, if you want to have homework, research the word anointed and draw parallels. When this word is used for whom? and you will be for very very in for very very interesting ride and you probably be very very surprised let's continue whom i have taken by the right hand to, to subdue nations before him and to loose the loins of the kings to open doors before him so that the gates will not be shut I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. I will shutter the doors of bronze and cut through their iron bars. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places, in order that you may know that this is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one, I have also called you by your name. I have given you a title of honor, though you have not known me. God is supreme ruler of all universe. He can use men to fulfill his purpose, even the man doesn't know him and we can even say who hates him because Cyrus worshipped different gods our God is sovereign God there is no Cyrus probably thought that he was the one who was so genius that he gained the victory That he conquered. But God said, I took you by the hand like a little boy. And I gave you all that you had. There is no luck. Good or bad doesn't exist. There is no chance in this world. Doesn't exist. There is almighty sovereign God who rules over everything. Let's read verse 7. The one forming light and creating darkness. God's talking about himself. Causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Well, this verse is something that I want you all remember for the rest of your life. Let's read it one more time. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being. Causing well-being. We all love that God. Hallelujah. I'm going to serve him. I love that God who is concerned about my, my well-being. But wait a minute. It says, I am the one who creates calamity. And I am the Lord who does all these Things. He's sovereign over all things, good or bad. He created this world. He created the world with freedom of the choice. And sadly to say, the choices that we have made have brought pain, death in this world. But in all that, God is still in control. In all that, God is still in control. How many of you know stories where you say, bad thing happened to good person? You probably, every one of you know the story that bad things happen to good people. When that happens, read this verse, and don't blame something. There is nothing to blame. God, remember that God is in control. God is in control. Can we explain more? I don't know, but probably there is a lot of questions that rise in our heads, and two most common questions What come up when we talk about sovereignty of God and God's love, is, okay, God controls everything. He's in control of all. Then how can he hold me responsible for the bad choices I make? If he's in control of everything, is there freedom of choice? Is there anything I can choose or anything that I can influence, or it's all said and done, already in stone. The second question, if God is really sovereign and rules over everything, and that includes pain and suffering, fine. But how then he can be loving at the same time? Well, let's think about question number one. Remember Josh standing in front of his people? not Josh, Joshua. (laughs) I'm sorry. Joshua standing in front of his people, and he said, Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose. Moses, when he stood in front of Israel, said, This day, I have said before you, life and death, blessings and cursing, choose. And Jesus said, whomsoever may, whomsoever will, may come. Was that nonsense? He said, yeah, I'm telling you, whosoever uh, will, but in reality, only those who I chose. Ridiculous. He said, you have a choice. You have a choice. But Paul says, in Ephesians 1, he says, He, God, predestines or chooses us according to the intention of His own will. And that's true, too, because this book doesn't lie. You're telling me, oh, you're giving me a headache. Good. Start thinking. Both of these things are true. Both of them are true, and you cannot diminish any one of them. They both are true. Can I explain them better? I don't think so. And I'm not ashamed to tell you that there is thing, there are things, and probably quite a few, that I do not understand about God. And it doesn't bother me. And it shouldn't bother you. Because if we can explain God, then we would be God. What bothers me when... Somebody gets up and says, I got all this figured out. No, you don't. No, you don't. It's a paradox. It's two parallel lines that connect only and only in God's mind. And we can't comprehend it and we can't understand it. It's a mystery. Well, let me give you two examples, imperfect. They're not perfect examples by any means, but that's the best I can come up with. And probably you heard both of them. But nevertheless, I'll tell you. Let's just pretend that we all agreed to go on a cruise and we all board on a big ocean liner. And let's say we're going to... um, Sydney, Australia, would be quite long trip. Um, We all are on this big ocean liner. Some of us lay by the pool. Some of us swim in the pool. Some of us play ping pong. Some of us can't leave dining room. Some of us maybe even sneak into casino. We all make choices, but none of our choices will change the direction where the ship's going. None of our directions. Only things what can change is with the time, some of us will be energized, some of us will be rested, some of us will be overweight, and some of us will be broke. <laughs> but the ocean liner are going to Sydney. Australia, and we are on it. In perfect picture, you can say there's so many buts and ifs. Yes, but that's the best I can come up with. Another picture, when I was a kid, I saw on TV a chess chess master playing chess with, I don't know, 10, 15 people at the same time. And he's walking from one to another, from one to another. And you know what? It took him probably about 10, 15 minutes. They all were gone. He beat them all. And that's something I can see how God is with us. We we make a good move, he knows the next move. We make the bad move, he knows the next move. And the reality is, really... He is not even playing game with us. He has made his moves in eternity past, and we are stuck in a time and he is not stuck in a time. He has been forever before time began and he will be forever. And let's not bring God down to our frame of our little life here. God is sovereign. Sovereign almighty God who is in control of everything. Well, most of us probably don't struggle with the idea that God is in control of everything, and we understand that um, there are consequences according to our choices, and we understand that this world uh, exists or or functions by the by the laws or or. Um, you know, all that is understandable. Um, what I struggle with is when I have not made bad choice, or somebody else have not made bad choice, and they wound up in very, very hard circumstances. That's when I start to struggle. Remember Job remember what God told about Job he was what kind of man he was righteous man upright man and what happened God in his sovereignty allowed things to happen was God in control he was in control from the first second of all that to the last. From the first breath to the last of Job's life. Well, that leads us to another, the second question. If God is sovereign and he rules over um, everything... There sure is a lot of suffering in the world. If He's sovereign, that He should be able to stop the suffering. And if He can stop the suffering, but He does not, how is He loving? And there's another thing that I want you to understand and keep close to your heart. Is God's love the same love as we think about love? Does God's love fit in in our definition of love? Jesus said, My ways are not your ways. As higher the heavens are from the earth, as higher my ways are than your ways. And here's a statement that we should remember. God's love is not pampering love. God's love is perfecting love. Can we all repeat that? God's love is not pampering love. God's love is perfecting love. God's love is perfecting love. God doesn't start every single day with a thought, how can I put the biggest smile of my face? Nor he thinks, how can I provide the, the fuzziest slippers for him? Or put the cushiest cushion under your tush. That's not what God's doing. God's love is perfecting love. By that, I mean God is in business of trying to help us to be able to worship Him here on this earth and in eternity, to give glory to Him here on this earth and in eternity. And there's a lot to be said about that. But I'll leave it at that much. And Bible says that the ones who Lord Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every single child of his for the same reason, to perfect you, to get the best, the best out of you that you can be. And this book, Bible, suggests us that if you are without God's discipline, you might not be his child. God's love is not pampering love. God's love is perfecting love. So, bad things do happen to good people. And bad things do happen to godly people. Ellen Roosevelt was a British medical missionary in Congo. While she was there, all she wanted to do is serve the people and serve the God. And while she was there, a revolution broke up. And she was... she was captured she was insulted she was beaten and she was raped and she was holding on for her life on a faith that was not shaken by anything that was going around her and with her and while she was recovering from this ordeal she grew closer to the god and isn't that a case Always, either we come closer to Almighty Sovereign God, or we grow colder and push Him away. Helen wrote a statement in the form of question that we should all ask ourselves, and the. Statement goes like that. The question is like God would ask this question to her Can you thank me for trusting you with this experience even if I never tell you why? We think that we deserve answers. We think that we must have answers. And God, if you're not going to tell me why, I can't trust you. God, if you're not going to tell me exactly what your plan is, I don't know if I can serve you. And show me the reason why this is happening, and there is no good reason. And uh, Helen continues, We think that God owes us to reveal the answers and conform his behavior to our pity intellects. What we fall to see. That we are the ones who are on trial. And that our obsessive questioning reveals more about us than about God. Another quote. Paraphrasing. Because um, the quote from John Calvin. He used such a big words that I... It's too much (laughs) too big for me. So I paraphrased it. And his quote is like that. that, Let for those for whom sovereignty of God seem harsh consider their own sinful hearts that bear so easily with their own refusal to brace this truth of God that is clearly attested in Scripture, simply because. It exceeds their own mental capacity to comprehend. God is sovereign God. God is almighty God. And we are not sovereign and almighty. And if you are here, out of billions that walk on this earth, and you that Jesus Christ as your Savior, as the only one who can give you forgiveness and who can give you salvation, and you accept Word of God as true Word of God, then you are on narrow way that leads to eternal life. And the mere fact that you are not on the broad way that leads to destruction is act of sovereign God. But you say, I choose. I I really did. I choose. I chose to come here. Yes, you did. And I did too. But somehow, in the middle of all that, God was completely and absolutely in control. Jesus said, No one comes to me unless Spirit calls him. God is sovereign in world events. God is sovereign in salvation. And God is sovereign in sanctification too. Um, Let's continue to read. And let's read um, verse 9 and the first part of verse 9. Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, first of all, sanctification is a process where God takes um, converted sinners and makes them righteous. That's what sanctification is all about. And if you are in Christ this morning, that that's the program that you are on. But woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. Well, let's continue to read. Will the clay say to the potter, What are you doing? Or the thing you are making say he has no hands? Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, to what are you giving birth? Well, in other words, there are two pictures that explains what this woe or quarreling is all about. Two pictures. Let's start with the second one. Let's pretend that a young couple from our church just have a baby born. And few of us broke in the room and walked in, like, Who is this? What kind of baby is this? Who made this baby? Stupid, stupid example, isn't it? Well, another example there Potter makes a pot. And all of a sudden, the, the clay vessel comes alive and says, What are you doing? I don't want to handle there. Well, that's the quarreling with our maker. And if you think that you are more important than pot to a potter, well, I'll let you sit in your pink cloud for a while all I want to tell you, God is sovereign. And you and I am here because of him. Every single breath I take and every single breath you take because he allows it to. And I think this is something that we as Christians struggle the most with in a life. This quarreling with our maker. We all have trials, each one of us. Some of us have them deeper, some of us have them a little bit lighter. Some of us have them short time, some of us have them for a long time. Some of us might have them for a life. Some of us might have some work situation. Some of us might have some marital situation. Some of us might have some prolonged health issue. Some of us might have profound loneliness. I don't know what the trial is. Whatever it is, the question, do you accept what God has given to you sovereignly? as your life and if you submit him he will bring a good purpose out of it or you all life long fight and resist fight and resist fight and resist how come I can't be like him or she how come come I can't have like he or she has and I don't like this life I want different life well you're not going to You're not going to. Because the freedom of choice that God had given to you does not include I want to choose this life or I want to choose that life. The only freedom of choice that we have is do I accept sovereign God or do I reject sovereign God? And Situations in life or trials or does not determine who you are or who you will be. Determines the choices you make how you deal with these trials. That determines who you will be living the life that God has given to you. The difference between people are not the circumstances they going or have gone through. The difference between people are the choices that they have made or are making to deal with these circumstances. Sovereignty of God. How do I embrace it? I don't want to, but we need to. Woe to the one who quarrels, quarrels with the God. And that's a statement of judgment. That's not something. That's a little more. Um, I want all of us to think of three things, or I will suggest three things. How we can embrace sovereignty of God. And the title of my today's speech, I put, I will. And there is unfinished, unfinished sentence. And there basically are three sentences that I want each one of us to finish. They all start with, I will. The first I will is, I will be obedient when told. Hmm. We don't like that. But when God speaks, when God tells us something, let's be obedient. Let's be doers, not only listeners. Listeners. Let's make up our mind. And when this is all over and we start to walk out of these doors, the first step that we make, let's not be. Before the foot hits the ground, we're already on the left side. I will be obedient when told. Isaiah 66 two says, Who is humble and who trembles at my word. That's how we should read. God's word. That's how how we should take it, this being humble, heart, and tremble of what God has to say to me. Let's all maybe say together, I will be humble and obedient when told. I will be humble and obedient when told. The second one, I will be righteous when tempted. Well, how? I don't have my own righteousness. Right. Neither do you. But Jesus cannot give you and me his righteousness if I don't want it. This is kind of like that thing, I want you to want to wash the dishes. But instead of dishes, it's I want you to want to be righteous. I will be righteous when tempted. Let's say, I will be righteous when tempted. The third one, probably the most difficult of them all, I will be submissive when tested. And that's even harder. We don't like to be tested, we don't like to be tried. And when it happens, in reality, we have only two choices. And that's our freedom of choice. That's our freedom of choice. We have only two choices. To to become bitter, hard, and cold. or Or to become quiet, submissive, and wait. Take plan B. And like the word of God says, you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of living. Take the plan B. Submission. What is submission? Submission is taking from God's hand absolutely everything he chooses to give us. Looking up into his face in love and trust And thanksgiving, knowing that experiences that he has entrusted me with are good, even perfect, however painful they may be, seemingly, simply, because he himself has given them to me. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning by faith for something we really do not comprehend. Thank you for you being sovereign God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being in complete control. But sometimes in life, everything that I see everything that I feel suggests me that you're not in control. Maybe even have forgotten about me. But your word says that you are in control. And people who trusted you have witnessed that you are in control. Some of us have seen it. Some of us may not, and I pray that you give us this revelation that you are in complete control in this life and in life to come. Today I want, Lord, to say thank you for being my God, for being faithful. I trust you, and I worship you, and I submit to you.